The Holy Gospel is written in the fifth chapter of the Gospel according to St. John, beginning at the 36th verse. Glory be to thee, O Lord. The works that the Father has given me to complete, the very works that I am doing, testify on my behalf that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testified on my behalf. You have never heard his voice or seen his form, and you do not have his word abiding in you, because you do not believe him whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that testify on my behalf. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings, but I know that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. If another comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe when you accept glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the one who alone is God? Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom you have set your hope. If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe what he wrote, how will you believe what I say? This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Please be seated. May the works of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be always acceptable in thine eyes, O Lord, our Redeemer. Dr. Michael Ramsey, a former Archbishop of Canterbury, is said to have stated, I think sermons would be better if the clergy did not preach so many. And the last Sunday after Trinity is known as Bible Sunday, and so an important time for curates like me to get to their feet and preach on what constitutes the bedrock of our Christian faith. After all, it is the Bible that has given us our inspiration. The confidence of all of us in the Bible and particularly the Gospels, needs to continue to grow. Indeed, a comment I recently heard stated that without scripture, the Church of England is simply another NGO. God speaks to us mainly through interpretation of the Bible, what we theologically call exegesis, and this invaluable and unique book helps us set the parameters for the way we live our lives as Christians. It confirms how we choose to live. There is therefore no need for us to be apologetic about the Bible. It not only affirms how we live as individuals, but also as a nation. We need to be confident to say the Bible is a good thing, that whatever its problems and challenges, and there are many, it serves to root our faith in Jesus Christ. When I was a child, 
a youthful Desmond Tutu arrived at my church in northwest London as curate. The year was 1963. He was studying theology at King's College, having necessarily got away with his wife Leah and young family from apartheid South Africa. He prefaced one of his early sermons with an anecdote on the life that he and his family had just left for safety reasons. It went thus. When the missionaries came to Africa, they had the Bible and we had the land. They said, let us pray. We all closed our eyes. When we opened them, we had the Bible and they had the land. The Archbishop repeated this when he received his Nobel Peace Prize in 2004, and indeed it included it in his biography. Appreciating apartheid at first hand, Archbishop Tutu did not underestimate the use made of the Bible to justify actions which were clearly not Christian and not reflecting God's will. Just as the Bible was once used to justify the continuation of slavery, Today, we all recognize that the Bible is still contentious with selective use and interpretations of text. The Bible is still used as a justification to promote views which do not accord with our changing understanding of a Christian approach in matters of, say, sexual morality, ethics, or is an indication of an appropriate response to wrongdoing. As a member of General Synod, I saw the Bible regularly used as a justification for resisting women's equality within the Church of England. Accessing the internet for a specific biblical passage, we may be confused today in being confronted by a huge proliferation of versions of the Bible. I remember at school when the New Testament of the New English Bible was introduced in 1961 to much acclaim as a new translation from the original Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic texts, the New English Bible sought to present the Bible afresh, representing the thoughts of its original authors. The task set was to try and understand what was being said in the original languages and then to represent that same thought as precisely as possible using modern idiom and language. The New English Bible was not the only attempt by Bible publishers to introduce modern language into achieving better understanding of the Bible. The New International Version was initiated and produced somewhat in parallel in the United States with their New English Bible and eventually it was to establish better hold as modern text and interpretation. The Good News Bible was another variant. These new versions stand in contrast to that of traditional translations like the King James Version. Here the emphasis had been more on word-for-word -word correspondence between the source and those who were targeted to hear the language. Translating new versions of the Bible will never be truly complete. As new discoveries are made about the biblical world and its languages, and as the rooms of English and the norms of English usage develop and change over time, so the Bible will need to change to hold true to its original vision of accurately and faithfully giving us God's unchanging word in modern and understandable English. Such translations are obviously not without danger. 
reception of modern versions has been problematic. For instance, the move towards adoption of gender-neutral language has proven particularly controversial, with some churches refusing to use versions moving in this direction. With so much of modern language today using biblical idiom quotation, there is also tension where the familiar poetic quality of the King James Version is lost. There are also today, of course, engaging audio versions of the Bible, great readings by English actors, for instance, John Suchet of Poirot frame, reading John's Gospel. These are great for listening to in the car. Remember, the Bible was meant to be listened to rather than just read. Listening to a chapter, you hear the bigger picture, the development of a theme or an argument, the amount certain phrases are repeated and emphasized, the sound and passion of the author in a way that might be missed in hearing just a few verses extracted from a chapter for a reading. However you choose to use the Bible today, it does clearly require some understanding beyond just listening to the words of a text. Once complete Bibles were probably only found in the biggest churches and monasteries, and for many hundreds of years were not in the pocket of the individual. Contrast that to today. We have the opportunity to have the full Bible on our iPads and mobile phones, along with readings and collects for the day and the services of morning and evening prayer. However, it remains very moving to me when one sees how much printed Bibles are valued in poorer areas of the world. While the printed Bible might still be a bestseller, particularly apparently in China today, nine out of 10 people, affirmed Christians, do not regularly engage with the Bible. According to research, 45% of children don't know the story of Jonah and the whale, and also don't know that the birth of Jesus at Bethlehem is a biblical story, even though they would probably be participating each year in a nativity play. The value of the Bible to all of us should lie in its use and its familiarity. Rowan Williams, former Archbishop, neatly sums it all up for us. Christians are people who expect to be spoken to by God. The baptized Christian is someone who is in the habit not just of speaking to God, but of listening, indeed listening so as to be able to speak. The Christian listens for God and listens in the company of other believers to those texts that from the beginnings of the Christian community have been identified as carrying the voice of God. Scripture is the territory in which we as Christians expect to hear God speaking individually or collectively to us. It is there to guide us to God. We cannot expect it to always say what we think or what we want the words to say but we must allow the scripture to say to us what God desires to reveal. To be closed to the true teaching of the Bible is to close ourselves from God. The substance of the New Testament is that of Jesus crucified and resurrected. It has been likened to God's love letter to us. On Bible Sunday and at all times of the year, we should again read scripture in this light seeing the word as a window through which we can see Jesus. His light, time, his, his light may sometimes be dim as seeing through a grass darkly, but trying to follow in his way through crypt, scripture 
is still a blessed preparation for when we will see him face to face. The scriptures are the swaddling bands of the holy child, Jesus. When we unroll them, we will find our savior. <laughs>